Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. Um, I am back for my little hiatus up in Alaska, and we're diving right back into it. Uh, We were just sitting here with our our good friend, Ryan McWilliams, um, and also Dana Crawford, um, and we're going to visit with them in just a couple minutes. But we were talking about how um, it was interesting to be in Alaska and um, rural issues are rural issues are rural issues wherever you're at. And some of the things that they're going through up there uh, are not dissimilar from what we have going on down here. And in particular, we were talking about a little bit about how heavily regulated the fishery is. Um, the U.S. and Alaska regulates that fishery, but that uh, those regulations aren't across the world. Other, other people um, and other countries really um, heavily affect what goes on in this little town that's a border town with Canada, um, and then also uh, the fishery that goes along with it. So it's uh, there was a lot of interesting things, lots of interesting parallels between um, the fishery up there and uh, um, cattle and ag production um, down here. So that was really cool. Um, we had uh, some interesting things happening while we were in, while I was in Alaska. Um, so we wanted to talk just really quick, and we've been talking about this and talking about this, but um, it bears repeating. The legislative maps came out for redistricting, came out this last week. Yes, the, the legislative maps, which if you're not familiar with it, we've gone over the congressional maps um, constantly up until this yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a big voice in that and, and you know, steering that discussion with the congressional side, the U.S. congressional side. Now what, what they released are the legislative maps, which impacts the state house and Senate. And they released their initial preliminary maps and it seems like nobody's too happy with them, but in in action 22, we didn't really take a position on the legislative side. We were focused on the congressional maps, but it's important to say, and even the commission said this in releasing the maps. And of course, nobody's going to be happy, especially at the beginning, that this is just a starting point. They needed something to put out there to basically mold where it's gonna go. And and it's been said even by the commission that the final maps legislatively uh, are not gonna look like what they just released. They just needed something to go off of and get the estimates of the populations where everything's moved to draw this initial map. So this is why it's so important to chime in. And I think the first public hearing in our area or public public comment in person is next week. Okay. And I believe it's in, I want to say Alamosa or maybe. No, I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's Alamosa next week. So again, and I said this on the last show, it's so important that our members and our listeners specifically in the rural part of Colorado show up to these public comment session, session, can't talk today, sessions, (laughs) uh, because if you're doing public comment in Denver, you know, they'll have a thousand people show up. And us in rural Colorado, you know, we're very busy and it takes time to get places. Yeah, I don't want to see it overshadowed where they have a thousand people show up to Denver one or even a Colorado Springs. And then we get to Alamosa, Trinidad, even Pueblo and seven people show right, up. Right. So we need all of our listeners and members to show up, voice your opinion, what you would like to see, what you like, what you dislike about these maps, because with the legislative 
maps, it's key because they are actively drawing those districts and moving stuff around. So please be there to voice your opinion. So just to add to that a little bit, you know, we were really happy with the way they, the final map that they came out with um, on the congressional side. And so I want to say great job to them. Once again, the commission, first the first, yeah, the, not, the yeah, final map. not the final map. It was just the, the first preliminary, preliminary map. Yes. We really liked it, but there was a ton of work that went into that ahead of time. But part of that is we said very clearly what we wanted to see happen as we had these conversations with our members and we had the conversations with the commission. And I just want to say that for the legislative map, this, they had to start with somewhere. They did not have any idea. They wanted to throw out the old map um, and not base it on that totally. They couldn't. And they could, I mean, literally they it's, they can't do that. That's against what they're supposed to be doing. So they start, had to start out with someone and they're asking for input. There was a ton of pushback. We've heard a ton of things. It's this, it's that, it's whatever. I'm going to tap for our, our listeners and for the leadership in Colorado and especially our area. It's not productive to say the map is this or the map is that and rip on it. Be specific in what you want to see happen with these maps, what you want that to look like. Instead of just saying it's political posturing or whatever, that's not productive. You need to say what it is you yeah, want to and, have happen. And actually, if you go to the redistricting commission's website, they have a, a, a page on there where you can actually draw out the maps and they ask people to draw the maps and submit them of what they would like to see. Yeah. And so you go on there and it shows the population. And again, this is prior to the census giving its final population report. So that can change it as well. Right. Um, mid, supposedly September, it might come down mid-August, I'm hearing, but you can actually go on the page and draw your own map and send it to them and say, hey, this is what I think would be the best representation yes. of the area or Colorado. So Yes. Well, and also our members, we want to hear from you on what it is you want to see happen with the maps. What's the most important thing to you? What matters most to you? And then let's go from there. Um, but let's be specific on some of those things. So, okay. So now that that's discussion. We, we talk about this all the time. Every single <laughs> I, I, feel time. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm beating a dead <laughs> horse when I was like, okay, let's talk about redistricting again this week. Well, it's just one of those <laughs> things that's so vitally important that we're never going to be able to get. Um, nobody's going to be happy. Nobody's going to be happy. No. And until it's done, it's not done. Um, and everybody just, breathe and just like what we're going to talk about in just a second. So I wanted to introduce, we've got um, Ryan McWilliams and you guys have heard us talk about him on the show before. He's doing this really phenomenal project uh, here in Pueblo. We want everybody to come see it and check it out, but it's just, it, it's been amazing to watch the progress over the last couple of years, but it's the old, uh, it's an old packing plant in Pueblo uh, so, so for a long, long time ago, more than 100 years ago, they put this meat packing plant in Pueblo, and I think it was the first that was west of the Mississippi. The USDA regulations for uh, meat packing were born out of here in Pueblo, one of those amazing things that you never know about Pueblo until you know it. Uh, and this building has been sitting here for a really long time, but they don't know what to do with it. And so Ryan picked this up a little bit ago and he's really trying to make this um, the flagship as an economic driver uh, for the entire region. And so we've been talking with him about that quite a bit. And we've also got the incomparable 
Dana Crawford here with us. <laughs> She's sort of, if you're in the architecture arena, um, especially on refurbishing and re, um, reimagining all of these old spaces, uh, you know exactly who she is. She is the one that worked on the Union Station up in Denver. She's got some other projects that she's going has going on. Um, and I dare anybody to stand in her way on anything at all. It would be why, I, and my money's going to always be on her in that in that battle. So we ha- we asked them to visit because there's some things that we are talking about with the ARPA funds and all kinds of stuff. So we wanted to have that conversation with these two today. And, and by the way, I was at a meeting earlier in Springs, and uh, I was talking about the show. I'm like, well, we're not doing out of our office today. We're going to the the old packing plant, and the guy was like. I mean, that ugly building in Pueblo that just sits there. I'm like, no, they're doing some cool stuff with it. And I kind of told them, so now you're going to have some people from Colorado Springs, Fort Carson, that area come down and they want to check out the building here. And then we had um, Senator Bennett on the show. You sent me the email and we did we did talk about the theater down in Trinidad and, and his eyes lit up when I, I mentioned it to him. So, yeah. So can we start out with you, um, Ryan, just kind of talking just a little bit about how this project got started and then how you got connected with Dana and introduce her? Absolutely. That's a fun project and a <laughs> fun story. So, um, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, this project has been a, a labor of love for sure. It is definitely something that has uh, been challenging over the last couple of years. When I purchased the, the building originally, we had uh, not a single window or door. We had no water, power, sewer, no utilities of any kind even coming to the building, let alone in the building. So we worked for about uh, almost uh, 18, 19 months uh, with generators and miners lights. So it was like uh, pretty much like working in a coal mine for a long time. <laughs> and, and I agree with uh, the sentiment uh, that uh, the Colorado Springs group had where, yeah, it was, it was sort of a, a derelict building for a long time and, and an eyesore. Um, Dana has heard me say this multiple times. It's probably the biggest eyesore in all of Colorado. And we're trying to, though, now taking a lot of cues from Dana and others, turn it into one of the, the biggest economic drivers and one of the shining stars in the area. Um, so, so just to give folks um, conceptually, and we'll try to put some pictures on the YouTube side of it, but um, how big is this building? Sure. So it's six acres under the roof, six acres outside as well. Um, probably the largest uh, project uh, that is bootstrapped uh, in the nation. <laughs> and and we're, uh, yeah, we're working on every square inch of it at the moment. So um, we are working on changing this into an economic driver that'll include restaurants, uh, light manufacturing, tech, uh, some housing, you name it. It's got a little bit of everything. Um, we can get a little more into that uh, as we talk through some of this stuff. Okay, so if you have this huge eyesore, you're going to do something with it. Um, everybody's like, oh yeah, this is totally going to happen. We're going to support you a thousand percent on it. Right. It's been super easy for you. This has been a super easy. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's exactly the opposite of that. It's been, uh, <laughs> it has been quite the challenge. Um, at the same time that I bought this, um, we were also in the fight on the Black Hills power plant. So all of this is why Dana is so integral to my life and vice versa. I hope these days, um, we were going through this process, having a challenge at every corner. 
um, we wound up having from every entity on the planet, federal, local, state, et cetera, has come in and said why uh, this won't work and why we can't do something. Um, we are just continuing to push forward though. Um, there is absolutely zero chance of me stopping ever, which is, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the that. only thing that we have going for us, but it's good. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been quite a challenge because I can't tell you how many thousands and thousands of people have told me they walked in and, or I've talked to them on the street and they said, that'll never happen. It's, it's not going to work. Right. Why, why would you even mess with that building? And, and so it, it, if I actually listen better, yeah. I probably would take some of that to heart, but luckily I don't listen very well. No. <laughs> well, and after meeting you, there's not a doubt in my mind and I know it's going to take a while, but why not just knock this down instead of why trying to do all this instead of just knocking the, it down? The building's right. invincible. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. We have learned this the hard way uh, throughout the whole process. So there's, there's two reasons, but this, that's a great question. The, the one primary obvious reason is if we actually did knock this down, this is what's considered a class one unlimited building. So it's the same category as the Pentagon, basically. Which the and, Colorado Springs guys, when I told them that, their yeah. eyes were like, whoa, because like, they're, they're, they're military guys. And when right. I told them that, I was like, yeah, it's a class one, just like the Pentagon. And they're like, yeah, I don't know what right. that means. What does class one mean? And Tough. so, so, oh, so basically okay. what that is, is when you look at fire codes and building codes and everything else, how strong is the structure? So if you take an example and you compare it to something like Mile High Stadium. So when you build a stadium that is for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, there's, there's a lot of people in there, a huge weight load. They build that for something on the order of about 200 pounds per square foot. Okay. That's, that's the load, right? So when you compare that to this building, this building isn't 200 pounds. The lightest floor is 2,200 pounds per square foot is the, the load capability. So uh, when you think about the structure itself, our thinnest floor is nine inches of concrete with one inch rebar every six inches throughout the whole uh, structure. Oh our thickest floor, it actually gets heavier as you go up. It's 33 inches thick and there's multiple layers of steel and rebar and reinforcement throughout the whole building. So it literally would be, I don't even know how many tens of millions to pull this down, but it is not something that is easily uh, demolished. So you could, so you could set up a racetrack in here and literally race cars around this building. Absolutely. Yeah. We have actually put a, uh, a 32,000 pound loader on the roof. That's what we did our first roof scraping with. We actually You did a loader? Yeah. How did you get a loader yeah. up there? We, that was an entertaining story as well because we actually broke the crane. So we lifted the loader. I had, I was up on the roof. I had one of the tag lines pulling the loader out so it wouldn't spin. And the crane actually broke at the base and the crane fell over and fell into the building. So it came really close to crushing me. Oh my <laughs> but, gosh. But uh, luckily it didn't. Um, and everything falls in. The worst part was we probably had to replace about, mm, 10 or 15 bricks, and that was about that it. That was yeah. it on the building. Yeah. The yeah. crane falls into the building right? Yeah. with a with loader, a loader attached it. to it. Yep. And you guys had to replace a few bricks. Yep. Okay, yeah. so it is indestructible. Yeah, it pretty much is. Yeah, uh, it's indestructible. But the other reason, the more important reason, is something that I really learned from Dana too, and, and it's this word called placemaking. 
I didn't know what that really meant in the beginning of all of this. But, and Dana can talk about that in, in her elegant manner as we go through. So I won't, I won't attempt that at the moment. But what I wanted to do now, what I realized with this building is, it's really, it's sort of a beacon of what Pueblo is capable of. Pueblo in general has a bad reputation internally. We have a bad reputation externally. And one of the things we're trying to do is show both Puebloans that have grown up here and live here that we have some wherewithal, but also show the rest of the world that we have a little bit of wherewithal. And this is a great place. Oh, and this wow. is a great building. And this is just an example of some of the things we can do. And, and yeah, it's the largest private project in the state. But if we can do this in Pueblo, we can do anything, right? Yeah. This was the toughest project you could take on by far. Oh, just absolutely. going from one room to the other, drilling a hole for electrical wiring takes us a day sometimes, yeah. you know? It's so, so if we can do this, we want to use this as an example of our capabilities and our wherewithal and to prove to the world, A, we have some wherewithal and B, we're never gonna quit yeah. until we're done. It's, it's well, gonna be going. You know, we've done several events here now. Um, when we have uh, meetings with like, you know, Senator Bennett was here, uh, Congressman Tipton was here. The governor, when I, we meet with the yeah. governor, he comes over here. Yeah. We have, a, and everybody falls in love with this building and the project and everything that's gone yeah. into it. Um, and I remember when you called me and said, I've got Dana Crawford. Dana Crawford's gonna be working with us now. Yeah. So tell us about that and how that all happened. <laughs> oh, so this is awesome. <laughs> so Dana has been one of these bright lights in my life for sure. and. Right when I was getting into this, we were um, having problems with the power plant on the other end of the river walk, right? And everyone wanted to tear it down. And Dana can tell this story even better than I can, but she was actually coming through town uh, working on some of her projects in Trinidad. So she's doing wonderful things in Trinidad too. We have to, we'll have to talk about that in a little while yeah. too. But anyway, as we're coming through, as she was coming through, she actually uh, got the news that we were in this uh, fight with the utility company trying to save this building. And I am so thankful that she pulled off the uh, interstate and actually stopped and met us for uh, breakfast, actually it was, at B Street Cafe. Um, and with that, let me introduce Dana and let her talk about this a little bit and, and her first person uh, response on on what she saw and what she heard about Pueblo and maybe how that's changed even a little bit over time. Well, first of all, you know, I'm on the way to Trinidad, why you just buzz by here. And I um, I don't think I'd ever been to the state fair. Or, uh, no, I, I'm going to say a lot of things that are going to shock you, Sarah. All right, and, uh, all right. I'll, I'm bracing myself. Uh, so, but after hearing about your trip, I think maybe, you know, you qualify for, yeah, yeah. for the, uh, the <laughs> philosophical tests. But at any rate, uh, I, Sal Pace was, a, was the uh, county commissioner, and he was working on a project with us in Trinidad. And he said, Dana, he said, um, if I told you that I could get you a really beautiful hotel, for a really reasonable price, would you turn off the highway? I said, of course. <laughs> yeah, I gotta yeah. look at that. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, in the preservation business, a bargain is often easy to run into, but there's no way to get it to, 
turn itself around, which it doesn't turn itself around. It right. have to really, really work like crazy. So at any rate, I came into town and I was with some preservationists and um, I saw all this fabulous architecture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I began to, you know, I, I knew about the history of the town and, and um, but we're getting farther and farther downtown and we drive by this really handsome big building. And, and, and um, uh, Steve Turner from the Historical Preservation Organization, the History Colorado, said, and they want to tear this down. And I said, they what? He said, yeah, they want to tear it down. And city council can't make up its mind what it wants to do. And I'm saying, um, it was like waving a big red flag at Dana. I mean, I said, well, that is ridiculous right here on the river walk. And, and it's a beautiful building. And what's its problem? Well, you know, it was an energy plant and it probably has some environmental problems and the owners want it torn down. So I'm, okay, tell me about the owners. Oh, oh, from South Dakota, Black Hills Energy Company. And um, I said, well, there must be some reason that, right, know, that, that, right. that they wouldn't be logical. Well, of course, first of all, I didn't realize that people that are in the energy business generally are not logical because <laughs> there are so many rules that you can't bear that, you know, you have to be a little daft to be in the business. So, um, uh, but I, you know, I've, I've figured out pretty quickly that there were some huge environmental problems. Right. And then Black Hills figured out that I'd figured out that there were some environmental problems. And so all of a sudden they wanted to be very friendly. So we went, this is really one of the funnest evenings of my life, but <laughs> I got together with, with the local preservationists and um, we went to city council a couple of times and we were always just, they would, didn't make a decision. They wouldn't make a decision. So this time we waltzed in arm in arm with Black Hills and their you know, management group, which had had some changes. And, uh, and so it, there are all the council people sitting up there and, uh, and we, we, Black Hill stood up and said, we want this building saved. Okay. And, um, and then they'd already heard me go on, you know, and, and um, so one of the councilmen said, Mrs. Crawford, I don't understand what's going on here. You've been fighting in front of us for months about the future of that building. And now here you are arm in arm with Black Hills. And I said, we joined the enemy. But <laughs> <laughs> the enemy joined you. But really, we, we did join the enemy yeah. too. So, so and, and we've had a very, very nice relationship with them. But it's, it's um, timing is very important also. And then right. I began to look at what, you know, genius over here um, uh, <laughs> was doing with, with the meat packing plant and um I, 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 of all you guys are gonna have to watch the you guys are gonna have to watch the youtube to see this the, yeah. her face when she said meat the facial expression. Expression. yeah well, i mean i i hadn't I, I hadn't run into a meat packing plant before yeah but it's unusual because i've done a lot of work all around the country and you know a lot of times i'll go into a town and i'll say when i leave i'll say well that's not going to happen or I'll get on the airplane and I'll say they're going to get it done because it's all about the people. Right. All right, about right. The people. And um, so 
you know, we got designated as historic and, uh, but we kind of kept working on then the pandemic came along and, you know, goofed all of us up. Yeah. And, um, but this, the, the genius over here kept working and working and, um, we kept meeting and trying to figure out what we were going to do about the meat pack. Not, not yet the meat packing plant. Then we had a meeting with, um, Black Hills, very nice meeting. And, um, I realized we were kind of going over the same information and problems that we'd been going over for several years. Right. And so, for example, I, give us one example. Well, it all it all really has to do with, and many many historic buildings have these problems, but power plants particularly have problems with oh, the environmental, environmental issues. Issue. Okay. And they have to be corrected, or you just can't go forward. So. Correct. At any rate, I'm, I'm sitting at the meeting just like I am now, and, and Ryan's sitting on my left, and I'm thinking, why are we spending so much time on that building when you've got one of the best projects going in the USA? Yes. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, re so you yeah. pivoted your focus. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we still want to work with Black Hills. We still want that to happen, and we yeah. still... Moving forward, it's just going at a rate that is slow for us. And so we are focusing right now on water tower. And see, and I'm about to be 90. So stop it. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but therein lies the problem. <laughs> well, I have to try to <clears throat> hurry uh, and get over this cough for one thing. Right. But um, at any rate, um, Pueblo you know, as, as one of the hubs of um, your 22. Yes. Uh, and, and a really important community in the history of the United States and a very important community in the state of Colorado. It's just got all these things, but you have to begin to adjust to contemporary times and um, you have to get the money. Get the money. So when we come back, we're going to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the very unique approach that Ryan is taking to get the money. He is, he said bootstrap earlier. We're going to talk about what exactly that means when we return in just a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders, XL Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back. We're sitting here with Dana Crawford, who is a, a nationally renowned preservation architect and with uh, Ryan McWilliams um, on this project that we are lovingly calling Water Tower Place. Um, and so over the break, we were talking just a little bit about um, everyone's coming to Colorado. And one of the things that we need to really focus on is um, preserving these old buildings that if we're smart, that that's the direction we'll go. So um, let's talk a little bit about the project in Trinidad. And then we want to come back because I think one of the things that's going to be a heavy lift for some of us who are kind of working on these things, Action 22, Ryan, um, Brian, because we're having a lot of conversations about that housing piece as well. Um, how, tell us a little bit of some insight on how you think we get local governments engaged because these old buildings, they're they're a little intimidating. It's a little scary to try to do something with them. Is that directed to yeah. me? Yeah, so tell me first. I, well, you have to, first of all, you have to try to establish some level of trust because you all are saying really nice things about me, but most people in, in the 22 area have never heard of me and, and, and they don't even give a damn. And that, so that's okay. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I can work better without, right. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, but um, you have to really figure out how the government works and you have to know that it's going to change and shift every few years. And, and you have to realize that a lot of these people have grown up in a community and they've seen these old buildings and they don't think, of valuing them right. like the many of the rest of us do or the general traveler does i mean it's it's proven that when people travel they want to go look at what the communities come from yeah, what absolutely. is what is this place what drives um, the community yeah it's right. history all yeah. of that yeah absolutely so um and that's proven but um you know mr joe blow who works on the city council he doesn't know that 
and and he doesn't care. I mean, and in, in a way, he kind of doesn't really like to have some of those old buildings called historic because he might be historic. Oh, yes. <laughs> so um, it's it's a it's a it's a, the same in most every town yeah. that I've worked in, and I've worked in a lot of towns, but. Um, so they have to begin to um, be able to walk up and down the streets and tell me what happened there in their memories. Like in the case of Trinidad, we have a remarkable theater that opened in 1908. And we have discovered that it opened as a legitimate theater and it, it was designed by some of the preeminent architects in the theater world, uh, and by the way, I'm not an architect. I mean, I, I'm not an architect. Oh, okay. I just like architecture a lot. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I have it kind of tattooed on my wrist. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> so, um, but the thing about it is that, you know, it operated and all the hemp ropes are still there and the thunder machine and uh, the Tesla lights, the original Tesla lights are still there because it became later on it became a movie theater and they never had to do anything to make chases so it's just so we this coming week we have some experts coming in that are experts on an international basis coming in to just see something that is intact do they still have the organ there do they have an organ there well no but we got an organ oh gotcha from, okay um, we got a big or, uh, organ from a, a state, I think in Alabama or Mississippi, but anyway, when brought it in, um, and that will end up being in the theater. And you mentioned that um, uh, Senator Bennett had been down there, and 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 Hickenlooper was down there playing the piano before he went to Washington. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. Uh, not, not bad. bad. Not bad. Uh, and it's the, called the Fox Theater, right? Well, it's the Fox West, and that the doesn't Fox have West. to do with the direction. It has to do with the man who, Mr. West, who mm -hmm. built it. And um, so the depth of the cultural life in these small towns is such an amazing thing. And, and you can kind of see it, particularly in a place like Trinidad, which had a big boom with the coal mines. And people came from all over Europe because at that particular time they were having a depression in Europe. And so some of those families have been there for generations. And right. I laughingly say, they're still fighting, but they can't remember what they're fighting about. Yes. Yes, <laughs> can confirm. Yeah. 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 My, my, my family has land in Trinidad and there's still some of that going on around yeah. the land. Built years yeah. Ago. But, yeah. but if you get people together and they're all worried about the future, and they all want their children to want to come back there to at least visit. So, and then they begin to think in kind of a different way. Mm -hmm. uh, and and they, they worry about their towns, as you well know. Yes. And, um, and now because of the um, lot of funding coming from the state of Colorado and from the feds, there are a, a lot of leverage programs, I call them leverage programs, and a lot of dollars that are going in. And as I understand it, what you all have to kind of do is help facilitate mm -hmm. a, uh, a collaboration that has much bigger impact than just one little town and maybe one little historic building. Right. 
that, right. that it has to become, you know, kind of the thing to do. A regional yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's interesting because we can do that as Action 22, but a lot of the counties, their hands are tied when it comes to regional sharing of resources or going for that. And that's where Action 22 is important to come in because we can do that. Right. Whereas it is, you know, municipalities, counties, they, they don't have the, the ability to do that. They just right. can't do it. So. Well, I, you know, in my lifetime, absolutely the most fun thing is to get a, a consensus in mm -hmm. a community because when the consensus happens, they all begin to be excited about sort of the same thing. And sometimes clubs or, you know, restaurants just invite the people that are the movers and the shakers. I, I remember running into that in Philadelphia many, many years ago. And, and everybody, you know, everybody who was interested in the future of Philadelphia, which was kind of down on us, mm -hmm. everything at that time, they came in there in the late afternoon, have a couple of drinks and, and got all excited about the future. You have to believe in the future. And there's a parallel to Pueblo with that as right. well, because we've been so historically conservative and siloed that we actually, I think it's been to a detriment to some degree. And now when bigger ideas and concepts and, and sort of things that are out of our comfort zone pop up on the table, a lot of people put on the brakes and sort of hold off and either don't engage or a worst case scenario is actually stand in the way. Yeah. But we, we're getting a little less of that. We're getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And these, these bigger ideas and bigger concepts, I think we still have a little bit of a problem where we, we do have factions in the community that have different ideas on what's best for uh, the future and the region and what they want to do. But I do think that we also all want the next generation to have a better place to live than current, right? We all want to do better things for our community. And if we can just get everyone around that campfire and actually talking about what that actually means and how we implement those projects, what Dana's talking about is, is key. We need a consensus in the community. And, and I think Pueblo would be well served if we all came together and listened a little bit talked about some of the options. That's one of the reasons I put out the, the recent nine pages of what I think we should uh, spend this recovery funding on. Right. Because, and we start that whole conversation with, give me a better idea and we'll stand behind it. Mm -hmm. Where this isn't, uh, there's no sense of ownership here. We don't care. I just want to have the community to rally around our best and biggest assets so that we're the most successful, leverage all of our assets and leverage this funding that's coming in so that we can do, we should, if we have $70 million coming into the community, we should be doing $140 million worth of projects or we have failed. Right. And then, and then also um, back to what Dana was saying, this regional approach of everything, how we become the hub of Southern Colorado in a more meaningful manner is to do outreach, is right. to create more amenities and, have more wherewithal ourselves. So let's let's start doing that and thinking along those lines so that we can actually grow. And one of the things I've learned from uh, some of the meetings with Dana and others is that when when all these communities come together and they they do their different projects, the the success rate is very much tied to how 
much of a consensus they have within their their area to do these different projects. Absolutely. If they're, if they're fighting, they're wasting their time and effort and their area, their uh, focus is not. Well, and you don't want to get in the middle of a fight. So if you're looking at somebody else's squabble, you're like, I'm just not, I'm not going to be in that. And so that automatically does that. But do you think it's really going to take a, um, a cultural transition for this whole region to do what you're talking about? You know, yes and no. I think there's, I think it's already happening. Mm -hmm. I do see the younger um, influence coming into play more so on a daily basis and these young people stepping up and doing some hard work. I do see, and I use Dana as the example all the time. I see these guys that are 60 or 70 and they've just checked out. Right. (laughs) And Dana calls me about every other day saying, Ryan, why are you going so slow? So, so I keep, we need more Danas to keep pushing this forward. Right. And what she was saying earlier about city council and everyone else, if you aren't a preservationist and you aren't a developer and you aren't in that world, it's not that you're not a smart person, but you, you just don't know exactly what to do is the next step. So everything's a little bit scary. So my suggestion is city council call up Dana ask her questions. She will be more than happy to answer questions. But you know, it really doesn't work that way. <laughs> what, it really, <laughs> what it really boils down to is getting people to stop and think what they want. And I've been through this a lot of times. It's totally amazing because a lot of people really logically come up with the same thought pattern. And you know, the placemaking businesses think about <laughs> the difference between a, a street corner that goes like that, and if you had a restaurant on every single corner, uh-huh. boom, it's lively. Now it's there. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. Now it's lively. And then when something lively happens, then something lively happens down the street. Yes. And then it, you know, it just begins to grow, and everybody starts walking around with smiles on their faces. And, and then they get to the point where, they can take a collective risk. People have to take risks. Yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter really how much money comes in from the state or the feds. The local people have to take some little risks. Maybe it's just the risk of maybe saying yes, where they usually say no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well not saying well, it's really, I think it's going to take a, a, some effort to to do two things. One, um, to reimagine what it would mean to move in this direction, but really how we think about ourselves. You know, that what we put out there is a direct reflection of what we think about ourselves. And so when I hear people say, oh, Pueblo's crummy or whatever, I'm thinking, is that what you think about yourself or are you thinking about it in a different way? You know, we've, we do, um, when we've had Action 22 events here, um, and I have to give a shout out to our executive team. I said, I want to do it two overnight, blah, blah, blah. And they and I said, I want to do it in Pueblo. And people were like, really? And I was like, yeah, but they hadn't done Pueblo with me. You do Pueblo with me. You spend one evening, one afternoon here with me and you are in love with it. And, um, and Chad Vorthman, um, who was with the Farm Bureau had said he hadn't really spent time in Pueblo, hadn't gone and done that until and he's like, I love Pueblo. And I'm like, I'm so glad. He goes, it's because you love it. Yeah, yeah. And because you see all of those things and you take us around and you've done that. Yeah. Um, we have some really cool things 
show the positive. And I, t I say, don't do Pueblo unless you're going to do it with me. If you're going to come to Pueblo and you've never spent time in Pueblo before, call me. We're going to I'm going to show you the Pueblo the right way. And it's really we need a lot more use. Well, I'm a tour guide in the beginning. That was I, my first job. There was tour guide in Alaska. Have, no matter, no matter how good you are, which I'm sure you're great. I'd like to go on your tour, but we, we you know we ought to have a lot of tour people. And then in Denver now we do, and down in lower downtown Denver that they just originally thought they just get rid of it, just mow it down, just yeah, get rid of it. And we're going to put big, great big giant highways through. Well, that isn't going to happen. No, right. You've got it. You, you want people to value. And when you start valuing yourself, you're going to start valuing your community and you're going to do it in a different way. And if you have some place that you can show off, that's where it starts. So this is why your nine page, whatever, or your nine point, here's what we'd like to see happen. That was really a reimagining. And there's some crazy totally out of the box, this is why I love it, totally out of the box ideas in your proposal on how we spend, how we reimagine our community. So talk a little bit about that, would you? Absolutely. So, so one of the concepts that is sort of the key of all this is starting with our best asset and working from there out. Pueblo's best asset right now, I think, is the Riverwalk. And, and I think most people would agree with that. I don't think there's any argument. When we see these communities being successful, what happens is if they put just a little bit of money on the north side and a little bit on the west side and a little bit on the south side, it's too dispersed and it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a true impact. So what we do is we work from our best asset and keep building on it. And all of a sudden you make it to the north side and you make it to the east side and everywhere else in town. So in this downtown area, which is where we need urban density, we need a lot of different things. We need housing, for example. So there's a housing component to this. And I think um, making housing though, um, at a making an impact in housing has to be something of scale. So at least say 30 to 50 units on up. So anyone that wants to do a, a project in downtown that is housing related, my suggestion was have a 0% a interest uh, loan fund and or a little bit of a grant that actually goes towards housing of scale. So that's the one of the first concepts. How do we get housing? Second issue though we have is we have a transportation issue downtown. And we also, as we've been saying throughout all of this, we have an image issue. So the solution to that has been something that uh, has also come from the dealings with Dana and everyone that uh, we've been working with recently where we have thought of a overhead cable car, a gondola. And this gondola, what it is, is it actually would go from the north end of the Riverwalk, bounce back and forth across the Riverwalk, land at the south end of the Riverwalk, and then bounce over I-25 and land at the Runyon Sports Complex, the activity hub. This does a lot of things. Um, now, when we're out at Runyon, we can actually put a surface parking lot out there get into downtown, both when there's an event and when there's not an event. And that takes care of a lot of the parking issue that we have in downtown. Right. We have a lot of issues where we have some great buildings, but they do not have parking available. So how do we connect those and how do we still allow for parking? The second issue is just transportation in general. When you go from point A to point B, the biggest issue is the land in between those two areas. 
And if we had to do a road or a light rail or anything else, that's a lot of real estate you have to buy and it's very expensive and there's all kinds of issues with it, right? Right. The gondola. Have you ever had lunch with a car? <laughs> had lunch with a car? Uh-huh. I've had lunch in a car, but not with a car. Well, if you try that, well, let me know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's no better, right? So at the end of the day, we solve now our transportation issue. We wind up saving a lot of money in parking and in transportation. Right. We now also, though, one of the biggest issues is we could not spend enough money to make the same impact from a marketing uh, standpoint. Absolutely. So internally and externally, we have 75,000 cars a day that go by on I-25. And they're all now going to see a gondola, a cable car flying over in the middle of Pueblo. They're going to be far more inclined to say, Pueblo has something happening. That is really interesting. Oh, and there's a river walk. Let's stop here mm -hmm. and actually spend some money. Right? Exactly. Internally exactly. within Pueblo, we also have sort of raised the bar. We now have taken a project that wouldn't be thought of normally. It winds up being very fiscally responsible as well. And we we did something very out of the box and we were, we were ingenious in the fact that we solved a lot of problems with one solution. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is with any of these projects, do that exact same thing. So if there's another idea that is better out there, I'll say it again, bring it to me, but solve, solve a transportation problem, solve a marketing problem, solve a, a real estate and a cost problem right. um, and, and do all those things within a project. And then, and then great, I'll get right behind it as well as a lot of others. And, and people, when I, when I mention it to people, the, the gondola idea, you know, they have a hard time conceptualizing it. And I always bring up uh, Telluride. Yes. Because they have the, a similar setup now. So you park down here at the bottom of the mountain, you hop in the gondola, ride yeah. it up, and that's all your shopping, your restaurant, skiing right. in the winter, you know, yeah. whatever. But even in the summer, you you park and you ride that up, and it drops yeah. you off, and you go to all the restaurants, do all the tourist stuff, stay in a hotel up there, exactly. and then ride it down to your car when you're done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when you think about this, too, because it is such a big concept, most people are saying, oh, it's too big, probably going to be too expensive, probably mm -hmm. can't happen. Think of this. Think of the Royal Gorge has a cable car. Yeah. yeah right? It's a small entity that it is not very expensive in the scheme of things. Right. We actually have, uh, there's another project in Idaho Springs that is currently working on a cable car. And we've got just tremendous information from all of these different cable car manufacturers. And it's reasonable. It is right. very reasonable compared to everything else. Well, and that was the thing I was going to ask you about. So we're not talking like 500 million or something like that. No, $20 million. $20 million to do this, which sounds like a lot of money, but in the big scheme of things, if you were to put a road in or something like that, you're never going to get the bang for your buck or the parking, the road and all of that. Or, sort right. of thing. Even a bus, even but, if you increase the bus, the um, public transit downtown to cover that, it would still cost yeah, it probably the same. If not. The last same bridge just to connect. So the city asked me to actually put in a bridge at one point from uh, the old C Street Bridge to connect the Grove. Oh, right, right, right. That So we looked into that and that's been three years ago. So it's far more expensive now. That was $44 million. Just, just for to put in a bridge for basically that Basically a short. three block yeah. piece of roadway. And, yeah. and, then, and that also did not include the land. So it was because I had the land. 
So, so all these things are very, very doable, but we have to get people to understand that it's not as big as you think. It is yeah. very, it's, it's reasonable and it makes a lot of sense. But the ROI on that, I think it would be tremendous. When you look at the impact of bringing more people in, and again, sorry, Alaska is still on my brain, but we used to talk about tourism in Alaska as being uh, somebody who comes and says, here's my money, tell me how to spend it. Right. Um, and the impact that that would have on this whole region would be, um, would be tremendous. So yeah. the ROI on that kind of thing, and that's what we're talking about really, yeah. is that it's gonna elevate everything else. I mean, yes, it's above, so I'm being punny with yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. also it would just elevate the whole area. And why not? Yeah. Think more of yourself as a community than you exactly. have in the past. Exactly. That that whole, you know, let's not do it because we're just this, we're just Pueblo. We got to get that out. Yep. And, and building off think, of running is very important yes. because that yes. is actually another key of what is an economic driver when it comes to youth activities and youth sports and where local parents as well as parents from outside the region spend their money. Right. So expansion of Runyon, the connection to downtown, all of that is definitely something that we need to be focusing on, in my opinion. Yeah. And if anyone's interested, please get a hold of me. Be happy to give you the, the details. Yeah. So um, we're just about out of time right now. I wanted to thank both of you um, for sitting down with us. I think if we have, if we had a really strong message, something that you wanted some of these decision makers to start thinking that direction. Um, I'm going to ask you first, Dana, and then and then Ryan. What would that be? What would you if the message you'd like them to hear. You got 30 seconds. I just would ask a whole bunch of questions. Okay. For everybody in the area and then collate it and see what the patterns are. Because we have a huge, huge change coming because cars are going to be electric within the next two, three years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the air is going to clean up more and it's going to be much more efficient. And the average American family is going to save $6,000 a year by driving an electric car other than a fossil right. fuel. So the changes are coming. Yeah. So it, it makes it easier for people to get in the mode for change. Generally, they're afraid of change. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're out of time. We're gonna continue this conversation. So if you wanna hear the rest of our conversation, look for us on YouTube if you've already had, um, if you already subscribe, if you don't, um, we will do that, but we're going to continue to have this conversation because it's an important one. So um, next week we will, uh, we'll just see you then. We're out of time. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.